folks, and welcome once again. I'm Joel Cookson. We thank you for joining us for a day late episode of the CIAC cast. We have episode 12 this week and three excellent guests that we're happy to have with us to cover a variety of topics. We've got some Golf discussion with Mark Allard of the Norwich Bulletin. Joe Palladino from the Waterbury Republican American has written some really interesting pieces on the safety of officials and fan behavior. So we're going to get into that a bit with him as well as a little boys volleyball talk with him. And then record-breaking softball coach Judy Deeb of East Lyme will be with us as well. So we've got some interesting guests that we're happy to have with us this week. We hope you're going to enjoy it. We're happy to have you with us. So let's dive right in to our weekly feature, Things You Might Have Missed on CICsports.com. Several new things on the website this week, starting with a new course from the NFHS Learn, which talks about sports nutrition and things that athletes, coaches, and parents can do to focus on eating better to compete better. It's a free online course from the NFHS, and links are provided as part of the story on CIACsports.com. Some really great stuff from the NHF, NFHS. I always get that acronym wrong. Some really great stuff from them of late and encourage folks to check out this particular option and as well as seeing what else is available. Also on CIACsports.com, the CIAC will be holding the, holding the statewide Officials Association meeting June 13th at the CIAC offices. So for any officials or official board members who might be listening, be sure to check that out to get the relevant information on attending that event June 13th again. And the story on CIACsports.com has all the contact information that you will need. News story from Max, or excuse me, a news story from Max Preps. Another great piece from Ned Griffin discussing the Southington softball team, which has been on quite a roll this season and will be trying to add to its long history of tournament success on the in the coming weeks as the CIAC tournaments begin in just a few weeks. And speaking of softball and our guest, we do have a story about Judy Deeb of East Lyme setting a new Connecticut record for career coaching victories in high school softball. We'll obviously cover some of that ground, uh, some of the same ground as the interview that we'll have a little bit later, but hopefully that will still be a good read for folks as well. So check that out. And then in the calendar section, which you can find on the right-hand side of CIAC Sports. Dot com. There's a link that says view full cast CIAC calendar. It's got all kinds of different stuff on there. But one of those things is to keep an eye on as we begin to approach the last few days of the regular season is to keep an eye on the brackets being released. And those things are moving up very, very quickly on Wednesday. May the 22nd, that will be the last day to count for boys and girls lacrosse, and then those brackets will be released the following day, Thursday, 5.23 at before noon on CIACsports.com, and then the last date to count for baseball, softball, boys and girls, tennis, and boys volleyball will be Thursday, the 23rd, and then the pairings will be on the website on Friday, the 24th of May, with play beginning basically that next day. So be sure to check out Tournament Central. I know I've told you that maybe a hundred times here on the CIAC cast, but that's a place where you can get all the brackets. The brackets will be posted there along with all the information on terms of scheduling. And in terms of scheduling, speaking of that, we may not have a CIAC cast next week because of all the uh, hectic 
information that will be going on towards the end of the week, but we may try to do one a little earlier in the week. We shall see. And also something to consider, uh, we were able to get into the brackets a bit more deeply in the winter season because there were fewer tournaments than we have here in the spring, so we're not exactly sure how we will cover everything on the CIAC cast for the spring championships, but we will do our best here to at least give some coverage for each of these sport championships as we go forward, though that might mean catching up on some of the championships after the fact once we've sort of gotten into the summer and can look back a little bit. All of that said, let's get to our first guest as we talk to someone. You didn't hear me mention golf in that schedule. They will get started with their championships that following week, but there is an interesting tournament that took place a little earlier this week in the eastern part of the state. So we reached out to one of our eastern Connecticut experts to try and get a feel for what was happening in the boys and girls golf scene with just a few weeks left in the regular season. Very happy to welcome back to the CIAC cast uh, one of our favorite folks who's out covering the uh, high school sports scene on the east part or eastern part of the state, Mark Allard from the Norwich Bulletin. Mark, thanks for carving out a few minutes here for us. Not a problem, Joel. How are you doing? I'm doing just great. And uh, earlier in the week there, out on the eastern part of the state, we hosted uh, the the Wildcat Invitational uh, golf event, um, which was the first 18-hole event of the season. And I know you covered that uh, for us, or for the Norwich Bulletin, I should say. So I wanted to get a sense of, of what we sort of can see in the golf scene uh, with that event in the book. So Let's just start out with, uh, you know, what schools were there, how many schools, and, and what jumped out at you as uh, particularly noteworthy after covering that event. Well, there are 25 uh, boys teams here and uh, about three or four, well, about three girls teams is what it comes down to. Uh, obviously, like you said, the first 18-hole event of the year uh, held at the Mohegan Sun Country Club. And uh, the Mohegan Sun Country Club is interesting itself, formerly called Potapog. Uh, but uh, it has just been redesigned. And a lot of these teams have no familiarity with it at all. Sure. Um, with the, so from that point of view, when you're coming in from a Glastonbury or in, from Middletown like Xavier did or Berlin, uh, they're walking in rather blind. And, <laughs> and one thing about the Higgins Sun Country Club with its redesign, it's a target golf course. So you're walking in blind. You're not, you know, you're looking for a tar and you're going to play target golf. Not the easiest thing. Uh, so from that point of view, uh, Tom Zellick from Glastonbury was pretty happy. I mean, his team is, he's got a very good squad. There's no question about that. They shot a 337 total uh, to beat Berlin by two strokes. They beat Xavier by four strokes. Uh, Xavier and Glastonbury have kind of uh, shared the title over the last uh, four years between the two of them. This is the 41st annual, or was the 41st annual event uh, for the Norwich Wildcat Invitational hosted by Norwich Free Academy. And it's interesting in the fact that they've brought in, obviously, some of teams from outside the area who they don't normally see because they want to play other competition than just the ECC, although the ECC does dominate the landscape as far as teams are concerned. Uh, but up front, it's those teams outside that have dominated. And Xavier and Glastonbury the past four years have split off with, uh, Glaston with Xavier uh, winning it four years ago, then Glastonbury, then Xavier, now Glastonbury again. So it's kind of showing a little bit of difference, if you will, between the eastern side of the state and other portions of the state when it comes to golf. And yeah. the ECC team has not won the Wildcat since 2004. Okay. When Wyndham last one. So it was kind of funny because uh, we did talk to Bob Fail, the head coach at North Free Academy, and said, What's up with this? And they said, 
He said, we play baseball here. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody knows ECC has a baseball conference, um, and it kind of shows that in the golf ranks, if you will. Although there are some very good golfers out here, the depth becomes the question, I think, for all these teams. Sure, yeah. Um, you know, what uh, you talked a little bit about the team um, you know, efforts. What were some of the individual performances that maybe jumped out at you? Well, you mentioned Evan Grass, and uh, Evan Grass only a junior. Uh, just coming off a, a win in Rhode Island at a at a challenge event, a junior challenge event that was actually an open event, and he beat the 2010 uh, New England Amateur Champion in that one in a playoff. Uh, and he's 38 years old, <laughs> and Evan's just a junior. Sure. Uh, he shot a 74 at the Mohegan Sun Country Club. And when you consider the conditions on Monday, and face it, for most of the year, the conditions have not been wonderful. Well, they kind yeah. of repeated themselves. Uh, it was windy. It was chilly. Um, you're playing the course you don't know, and you shoot a 74. Yeah. Hey, would you still mind? I wouldn't mind doing that every day. <laughs> uh, and he was kind of, uh, you know, my long game was off, and my but my chipping and putting were spot on. Yeah. Um, and I think that was basically. The, the thought process throughout. Uh, if your short game was there, you would do okay. But no one else shot in the 70s. Yeah. Um, so Evan Grenis was the only person with a 74. And then you have to go all the way down to Austin of Farrar of Berlin uh, who, and um, Alex Manor of East Catholic, who both shot 81s. Fran Shields of East Lyme and John Aitken of Killingly were the top two Eastern Connecticut uh, players. They both shot an 82. Interesting little story about John Aitken, his twin brother, Drew. They're both freshmen. They shot an 82 and an 83 for Killingly. Okay. These kids are going to be good down the line. Not yeah. big kids, but they have a marvelous short game. And uh, their, their long game is getting there. Uh, they're going to be growing in strength, obviously, just being freshmen. So something tells me down the road, Killingly, as long as they provide some depth behind them, will be a force to be reckoned with. There you go. So speaking of that, um, you know, the obviously with about uh, we're now almost exactly midway through May, the uh, the state tournament, the state championships, maybe two and a half weeks uh, away. Talking to to some of these coaches and and some of the teams, what kind of feeling did you get for for how those coaches are feeling maybe about these teams? You know, with the the state championships uh, looming a little bit here in the coming weeks. I think Glastonbury has high hopes. Um, I think, you know, as far as seeing where they're at now and their first 18-hole event, I don't think they're going to complain with the uh, 337 total. Mm -hmm. um, Xavier and Berlin certainly, I'm sure, uh, look at things and say they've done well here. Um, so maybe this can help propel them into bigger and better things uh, come state championship time. I, I think, you know, when, when you really look at this, the team is going to depend on the depth overall for a team and where they're going to be. Yeah. And I don't know Eastern Connecticut-wise, and I'll speak specifically to that because obviously that's what we cover. Eastern Connecticut-wise, East Lyme is starting to develop some depth. Yeah. Uh, Rudy Bagos, the head coach of East Lyme, the team finished fourth overall, uh, extremely pleased uh, with his depth because they, even though their lowest was 82, their highest was 89. Sure. And it shows a, a pretty good depth set situation for them going into bigger tournaments, such as the ECC Championship, which will come up next Thursday. Right. Uh, and, in fact, today they play against the NFA again. They've already clinched a tie for the ECC Championship, a regular season title, and now they're going to play NFA to kind of clinch it outright if they can today. Once again, back up at Mohegan Sun Country Club. So East Line will be tested going in. They're probably right now, I would say, if you look at a team that has a good shot of doing something as far as the eastern side of the state is concerned, East Line would be the pick. 
but do not discount something if uh, Killingly or NFA get their act together. Uh, certainly they can do something as well. And you got to look at individuals. The Aitkins certainly um, are capable. Nick Camaretti uh, from NFA had a bad day on Monday. He'll admit to that uh, or did admit to that. Um, and uh, he certainly could uh, could do something come state time. Yeah, so certainly something to, to keep an eye on. And we'll, we'll see, you know, it'll be interesting to see um... – at the ECC championships, what uh, what changes happen? You know how teams are are progressing, moving uh, towards that state championships. I know you mentioned a, a much smaller meet on the uh, or competition on the girls' side, just a nine-hole event. What uh, anything in particular that was noteworthy from that competition on on uh, earlier in the week? Well, it was an Eastern Connecticut event essentially. Uh, there were no uh, outside competition, uh, no people from the west of uh, well, outside of the ECC. It's probably the best way to describe it. Uh, so it was kind of a smaller event. They only played nine holes. Kate Bickhart from Bacon Academy uh, was best on the day. She shot a, a 53. <laughs> Interesting part about her is she's just there to play golf. She was like, oh, okay, I won. <laughs> yeah, well, you gotta like kids like that sometimes. I, yeah, that's nice. Can I go home? Yeah. Um, and you know. It, it, to say that it had a huge magnitude, I don't know. Um, they were just out there having fun, playing a course that many had not seen. Kate had, Beacon Academy and NFA being so close to play often. Uh, and that's the other thing about the eastern side of the state. Not a lot of girls golf teams. Only yep. four, uh, to be absolutely honest. There are some who play uh, on the boys' teams. Uh, there are a couple of ledgers, ledger girls who are very good. Um, but uh, not a lot outside Woodstock, East Lime, NFA, and Bacon. We don't have any girls' golf teams out here. Yeah. All right. Well, Mark Allard, always on top of things on the eastern part of the state. We uh, we appreciate you checking in with us, and I'm, I'm guessing we may hear from Mark uh, again in the coming weeks as we head into the uh, the state championship season. Mark, appreciate your insight. Thank you very much, Joel. That was excellent stuff, as always, from Mark Allard of the Norwich Bulletin. Encourage you to check out his stuff online or in the print edition of the Norwich Bulletin. Always a pleasant gentleman to talk to, one of the most pleasant folks that I think I deal with. Always in a good mood and always happy to chat. So we thank Mark for his perspective on golf. As we mentioned, just a few weeks left in the regular season for golf as we head towards the championship competition. Changing gears a little bit here, for those of you who have been following the news, may have seen a tragic story out in Utah where a soccer official was, was struck by a player after a disputed call and then unfortunately passed away in the hospital. Joe Palladino of the Waterbury Republican American has been writing a series of stories that uh, were published this past weekend kind of talking about fan behavior, player behavior, and official safety. So we wanted to reach out to Joe and chat with him to get a little bit of a perspective and some of the things that he discovered in researching and then writing these stories. Very happy now to have on the phone Joe Palladino from the Republican American in Waterbury. And Joe, uh, thank you very much for joining us on your day off. We, we appreciate it. <laughs> there are no days off in the business, but I'm more than happy to, to be part of it. Thanks for asking. Absolutely. So, uh, you wrote what I thought was really a great series of articles uh, in the Republican American uh, this past weekend, which I encourage folks to check out, uh, prompted by uh, the terrible events in Utah uh, where an official was, was killed, um, inadvertently killed, but, uh, you know, was attacked by a player. Um, so as you started kind of thinking about writing, you know, about this topic, what were what were sort of your goals or, or what were you kind of hoping to do with these stories uh, talking about, you know, officials and coaches safety and things like that? 
Well, one of the things that we started out with was to keep the focus on high schools, which, which, is, a, which is a tad narrow because, keep in mind, this incident didn't happen in a high school event, but it was, it was a recreational league sure. with a volunteer official. Mm-hmm. But we thought, um, and that's probably where most of the danger is very often, I think, when it, when it comes to these type of incidents, because I think what we do with our high school games and the security we provide and the professionalism we demand, the CIAC demands, uh, is of a highest standard. But we thought we'd look at it from the high school perspective because, you know, we, we're out there as, as, a, as a newspaper person. I see a lot of things going on out there, regular season and st- in state tournament play. And so, you know, my boss, who happens to be an official also, <laughs> said to me, um, you know, let's look at this because, you know, are we safe? Is it, are we doing all we can? Sure. And I think that was really the main thrust was um, uh, the understanding that, none, that an incident like this probably can't always be stopped, but, but how well are we – what is our attempt to at least try to make it safe for spectators and athletes and coaches and officials, of course. But again, the focus was more on officials. Sure, yeah. So I know you spoke with, with several officials, uh, you know, as part of the stories. And what would you say was the general feeling that they had about, you know, sort of their safety and atmosphere of games? You know, I guess, kind of put another way, how big a concern would you say this is for the folks who are involved right now? I think um, officials are amongst the most courageous or crazy people I know. <laughs> I have no idea why anyone would do this yeah because even on your best day someone is unhappy sure and and of course you know in in the modern era we don't blame you know our children if if we lose a game it's got to be somebody else's fault it couldn't possibly be that our son or daughter made a mistake yeah so we we need to blame someone and the most obvious person is is the official Uh, and that's fine if if you're just gonna say something gentle or, or something you know Come on, ref, uh, you need to be better than that. Okay, maybe we can all handle that. But these yeah. guys and gals, on a routine basis, are um, uh, verbally abused or, or yelled at or insulted, sometimes chased to their cars. I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one time I had to talk to an umpire. This is during American Legion baseball uh, in the summertime. And I just needed a question on, uh, on, on a play. And they're running to their car, and I'm chasing after them. And the guy thinks I'm after them. Yeah. They're, they're sprinting to the car. I said, oh, no, I just have to ask a question. <laughs> so, so they're all accustomed to the possibility of danger lurking at, at every, you know, uh, around every corner. Yeah. Uh, we, we are very lucky here that there are very, very few assaults. But I think what everyone is beginning to wonder now is, are there, are there few assaults or are there just rarely reported yeah. incidents? Um, so I, I think officials are, you know, and I, I, the best officials are not only the guys and gals who are making the right calls, but who can also help diffuse a situation. I know a few, I won't mention any names, guys in soccer games who have a wonderful way of taking an angry mob, if you will, in the stands and, and talking to them and turning them over and, 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 and you know, winning them over to his or her side of and I think they're very, very professional in that manner. And um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I think it's fairly safe, but they're alert. And uh, I think that, you know, leads me a little bit into my next question, which is, uh, you know, obviously as part of um, their preparation and their training, officials, you know, go through certification and all that sort of thing. From from what you found out, do they, you know, as part of that sort of training and their preparation, 
the you know is there any sort of instruction on how to deal with you know some of these situations that might come up where you're dealing with you know a coach or a fan or or whomever who is you know whose temper has uh gone a little bit hot I believe that in um, you know obviously to be certified as an official you need to memorize the rule book right you need to know you need to know the rules and and how to administer them I really do think there's there, it's more of a mentorship kind of thing. I mean, I, it, using basketball as an example, um, for many many years you have junior varsity guys doing the game, and after the game they stay and watch the varsity game. Right. Watch how the varsity officials handle situations, and then at least in the old days they'd all get together and go out for pizza and discuss the evening. So you know what you could put in a in a manual in black and white all the rules and suggestions you want. Yeah. It's not until you're in the gymnasium or on the soccer field that you begin to see uh, incidents, you know, up close and personal, as they say, and learn how to deal with them. So I think it's it's mostly a mentorship. I think that really makes the next great officials because because the the uh, the veterans guide and and bring along the young officials. At least that's what I've seen through the years, and I think that's where the learning process and how you deal with these situations really takes place. Yeah, that certainly makes sense. And you've got folks who have, who have done it before uh, and can pass along some, some valuable information. Um, They've seen it all, these guys. You know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, you know, in the discussions that you had, either with officials or with, you know, school personnel or whoever you, you spoke to, did you get a sense that this is, unfortunately, something that's becoming more of an issue, or do you think it's, been, it's a concern that's always been out there and is, you know, maybe just getting a little more publicity now? I, I think it's more of an issue. Um, in talking with uh, the president of the National Association of Sports Officials, he says that the reporting of incidents is on the rise. Now, of course, he cautions. Does that just mean, as you said, are we just reporting them more or are we right. ignoring it less? He thinks it's on the rise. But he, he, this is Barry Mano of, of uh, NASA. He, he has 19,000 members mm-hmm. and when he start, of officials. When he started this organization, I think it was uh, early 80s, uh, he never offered insurance for officials. Now, one of the most important things they do is offer insurance. Well, why are they offering insurance? Well, because people are coming under attack. So, you know, it's becoming a, a, a greater concern. Yeah. I think, you know, I don't know if it's happening more with officials. I do know that I, I see more... Um, Incidents in the stands mm-hmm. or in the parking lot. This is just among fans, not yeah. necessarily involving coaches or officials. So it's inevitable that that type of thing will then begin to spill over, whether it's coaches or whether it's officials. There's going to be anger after games. There always is. Yep. And, yeah, no, I, I would say it's something on the rise. And another way you can look at that is you could see that security is greater now than it ever was yeah i mean we wouldn't we wouldn't be spending all this money to put up placards on gymnasium walls about sportsmanship if we didn't think there was an issue sure uh, so i do see and there's nothing wrong with it i i endorse it i do see more more uh security measures not necessarily just uniformed policemen but it could just be uh locally trained volunteers also uh so i i see more and more security so that tells me that people are are seeing more incidents are a little more concerned. Yeah. Uh, one thing that was, you know, I really found interesting in, in the pieces that, uh, that you wrote and something I hadn't really given much thought to was that there, there had been some, um, some legislation that had been, you know, at least discussed, uh, you know, a few years ago, sort of in response to an incident, um, that would, you know, sort of change some of the, um, 
some of the penalties for for incidents such as this if they did go you know to a to a legal repercussions what is sort of the status of that and and what did you find out in kind of investigating that angle of this uh this story uh there is there is no status at the moment it's okay. it's uh, it's a it's a gone issue mm-hmm. um but there was there was a a coach attacked by a parent uh, uh, uh 2005 i think it was and that got the ball rolling um and they just tried to to ratchet up the statutes you know yeah. make, making the assault uh i i think it's now just like if you or i got uh, punched in the street to be a class a misdemeanor they tried to jump that up to a class d misdemeanor so that you could be as much as five-year prison sentence as opposed to a one-year prison sentence and i think everyone agrees that none of that would stop the lunacy yeah but like anything else it, as long as the topic is being discussed talked about it's in it's in the public's mind. It's on the forefront. Then you hope you can, through education, head off future incidents. Yeah. Uh, but but that law, which which uh, looked really strong, like that, I wrote about it a bunch of times in 2006. It was steaming along, and then it just died in the Senate. Amendments were tacked onto it, and then it just got bogged down, and uh, it's never been brought up again. I'm sure it will be at some point. I've never been convinced that passing a law is going to change anything. Yeah. But uh, but as, as as officials had said, you know what, if you're going to have a law, let's put more teeth into it, and, uh, and will it serve as a deterrent? Well, until we pass it, maybe we don't, we'll never know. Yeah, no, it's an interesting. It's certainly not something that uh, there's an easy answer to uh, by any means. Um, so to kind of to, to put a bow on it a little bit, you know, with, with all these, you know, discussions that you had and, and talking to different people, what kind of conclusions do you feel like you were able to reach in terms of what are some things that are being done to try to, you know, maybe curb some of this behavior or, you know, and ensure safer environments or, and maybe what are some things that you think could be done that, that don't seem to be, you know, really um, happening yet? Well, I think what made, first of all, what made this case in Utah so unique is that uh, there, there's nothing that could be done. I mean, what our security measures at game is generally aimed at what's going on in the stands, right. keeping someone in the stands and not allowing them out on the field. Most of the time, you know, when you're, a, when you're at a tennis match or a golf tournament, you know, the, the security's eyes are always aimed at, at, the, in the, in, at the spectators, not right. at the field. Yep. So I don't know what would have ever stopped this incident. Yeah. But I think, I think the, the brightest things I heard people say was, was A, was education. If you're really going to promote security and safety in a family environment, then, 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 then honor the kids that play with great sportsmanship you know, before the game. Let everyone know that these are the people who are our role models, these young athletes and, and coaches. Um, I, I think um, uh, more visible security everyone is talking about. I think one of the great things that the CIAC does is have student-athletes um, read a little sportsmanship a pledge before the start of some tournament games. I'd like to see that more often because if you have your son or daughter out there on the court or on the field saying to you before the start of a game, we pledge to play our best and with sportsmanship, how about you rooting with sportsmanship? Fans would follow suit with that. That's my kid. Let's support our kids. I know that would change, I think, attitudes tremendously. You're going to have a chucklehead who's going to be in the stand screaming something ridiculous out. Um, but I think if our kids were the ones who were delivering the message before the game, that would go a long way in changing people's attitudes. Yeah. Um, I thought the other thing I suggest is, you know, the minute someone does something, get out. Yeah. You know, don't. don't I mean, I, I also, I, I, my message too is, is 
We need coaches to be a little more civil on the sidelines because when the coaches get get amped up, the fans follow suit. And, and by the way, so, so do the players. So we need coaches to be a little more restrained, and I also think we need, you know, some of the athletic directors to be a little more aggressive in, you know, when they see some crazy behavior. You're, you're often hesitant to say something to a parent who might be a donor. Yep. Or, or who's volunteered for a long time for a school. You may be hesitant to go over and say something, but, you know, at the start of a game, if something's getting a little agitated and just a gentle word, you know, let's let's calm down a little bit. That would go a huge long way in in settling things down. Because once you get a couple of parents say, you know what, you're right, we've got to calm down, the whole crowd will. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, it's certainly uh, you know, there's it's a hard it's a hard line to walk because you certainly don't want to you know you don't want to dampen enthusiasm, uh, you know, and, and genuine enthusiasm is part of what uh, what makes the games exciting and, you know, creates a great atmosphere. But there certainly uh, is a line and, and you try to try to make sure that everyone is staying on the proper side of it. And and like you said, you know, with this incident in Utah, I mean, there's some things you're just simply not going to be able to prevent, uh, you know, freak freak occurrences happen. And, and you hope that they just don't happen very often. That's about the best you can can hope for there, I think, unfortunately. Well, the great the great line from Barry Mano of the uh, sports officials organization was this, this, this official was showing a yellow card when he you know took his eye off and and he, and he was struck. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what Barry Mano says was his yellow card has to be our yellow card. This is a warning to us too. Yep. And you know just the fact that we're talking about this or that we wrote some stories or that it got national attention just that alone. I think is a good first step. As long as people start to talk about it, though maybe gradually, uh, behavior will be modified, and hopefully the games will get even safer. I totally agree with you. So hopefully we're uh, we'll take it a small <laughs> step with that today with our uh, our CIAC cast listeners. So I want to radically shift gears here, but while we had a uh, a Waterbury gentleman on the phone with us, we haven't talked much uh, boys volleyball on the CIAC cast this spring, and you've got a squad in your area having an outstanding season in uh, in Oxford. I know you've you've covered this team some, but uh, what is sort of impressed you the most about the Oxford team that currently, uh, as of this recording, is, is undefeated on the season? What's jumped out at you with this team this year? Well, they're just so big. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, of course, it's, it, big is not the only thing you need to be. Of course, you need to be athletic, and, and they are that as well. But I remember when I was watching the match against uh, Cheshire. Uh, by the way, let's just say that we're very lucky here in our region. Our boys' volleyball teams are outstanding yep. routinely. I mean, Cheshire's state champion last year and, and bouncing back and starting to look strong again and, and Wilkett Tech and Lewis Mills and, and Oxford, the, everyone is highly competitive. Yeah. But I'm watching this, this Oxford team, and the first thought I had was their nickname is the Wolverines. I'm thinking, myself, these guys aren't Wolverines. They're beasts. <laughs> I mean, they were bruisers. And, they, and, again, very, very athletic. So they're huge across the front line. Uh, they have one, they're all good, of course, but they have one player, Robert Costigan, who uh, I believe he's going to Sacred Heart University uh, on a scholarship to play volleyball. He just he just cru- he's an outside hitter and he crushes the ball. Yeah. Um, he's got a thousand kills for his career, and I don't hear that very often. I don't know maybe no one else has been keeping track, but that that's the first time I've heard of anyone locally with a thousand kills for their career. Um, 
that's a big hitter. Yeah. And the problem is, okay, let's let's double up on Costigan. Well, that's that's not going to work because that's everybody else across the line. You're like like Jason Mraz, Eric Jensen, the kid like six four, six five, and they just they just pound the ball. Yeah. Um, and the thing that impressed me the most about them, they were in the state final last year, and I remember I covered the Cheshire final. Another writer covered the Oxford final. You know, they were back to back, and I you know I was just casually watching the Oxford match and. They belonged in the final, but it looked like it looked like they still needed to learn how to win a final. Yeah. Maybe they were thinking like, "Do we really belong here?" Well, you know what? That's they've learned from that. I mean, they are poised and confident. Um, their setter, uh, Pat Cragen, he was a sophomore last year, and I thought he he seemed like you know the old deer in the headlight syndrome. And this year, he looks so confident. He is so good. The setter, of course, is the guy that always makes your team go. Sure. And uh, you can have six six guys across the line. If you can't get the ball to them, it's not going to be any good. Yeah. And and Cragen does that. I mean, these, these guys, you know, I don't know how I don't know how they rank as far as all the other teams in the state. But I tell you one thing, I wouldn't want to play them in, in a state final. I would be worried. Yeah. No, it certainly should be uh, an exciting um, tournament, both in the L and the M. Uh, coming up, we got some really strong teams, I think. And if you look at some of the the results, you know, throughout the spring, it seems like teams are starting to really even get a little better, you know, as the year goes on, which is a lot of fun. So I, I think that's going to be certainly something to uh, to keep our eye on as the uh, the championship season rolls on. Well, I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, we, we we always have a local team in the finals, so I get to see the state tournament almost every year. And I, I might have said to you before, it's probably one of the most exciting. CIAC sporting events I've ever covered is, is the state tournament in, in boys volleyball. Uh, gymnasiums are packed. It's very intense. Of course, it's late. It's early summer, so the gyms are roaring hot. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's, it's more fun than almost anything else I cover. And, uh, and I'm looking at the, the uh, quality of teams that are out there, and I, this year's going to be the same. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to that. And uh, Joe Palladino, we appreciate you taking the time on a, a very nice day on your day off to uh, to chat with us and cover some of this stuff. So we'll uh, we'll certainly catch up with you again uh, down the road here. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Joe. Tis always a pleasure to talk to Joe Palladino and encourage folks to check out those excellent stories that he wrote about the officials uh, and safety issues and concerns at the Republican American. I can check that out online. So encourage folks to do that. Really some great reporting there about a, an important issue and appreciate Joe talking with us. So changing gears a little bit again, we mentioned earlier in the podcast that East Lime softball coach Judy Deeb set a record a little bit earlier this week, this past weekend, I should say, and she was kind enough to rejoin us on the phone as well. So topic to talk to her about her record-breaking achievements in girls softball. Um, well, obviously, congratulations on the, on your uh, your record. That's that's quite an accomplishment. Thank you. Um, so I saw that you said that this wasn't something you were aware of really going into the game. When did you kind of find out about it, and, and what was your reaction uh, when you did? Uh, after the game. Uh, after the game, I came home, and uh, Vicki Fulkerson, who's the sports reporter for the New London Day, called me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she keeps she keeps the numbers Yeah. for, for all the sports in this area. Yeah. And... Um, she she called me and she said, "I just want you to know before I put it in the paper that you tied the record." This was Friday night. Sure. And uh, and then uh, she was at our game on Saturday morning. So uh, so you know that, that that's how I found out. Gotcha. Uh, last year she had told me that I was uh, 
uh, close to the record. So, but I, I didn't keep tabs. I didn't, I didn't, yeah, it's not, I mean, it's important, but I'm not really a numbers person. Sure. Uh, I like to give credit to the kids and to, you know, the whole program and the, my coaches and, you know, everybody who supported the program over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, I know you said also that you're, you're sort of a little more focused on this season. How are you feeling about the, the team this year? I know you're off to a, to a pretty good start. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited about the team. I'm really happy with the way the kids, the chemistry of the team, everybody gets along. And I, I'm somewhat surprised with our success. Um, you know, at the end of last year, we won like 10 games. I think we were 10 and 10 or 10 and 9. And, um, you know, I, I challenged the kids to work in the off season. And they came ready to play, and I'm, I'm very impressed with the, with the outcome at this point in time. Great. Um, you know, they get along. They they did their work in the off season, and they work hard during the season, and uh, we're doing pretty well. Yeah. So it makes coaching a lot easier. <laughs> when all you have to do is throw out nine players and say, "Go play." That's exactly right. Makes those uh, makes getting those uh, those record wins a little bit easier, I would imagine. Right. Right. Um, you know, obviously that is a, a, a lot of victories. Do, are there any that sort of jump out at you uh, over the years as kind of the most memorable uh, or, uh, you know, one or two maybe that, that stand out to you kind of along the way? Well, there, there are a couple. Uh, in, uh, in 1994, um, Ledyard uh, High School was a, a tremendous softball program uh, in, the, in the early 90s. And, um they had a, a national record streak of a hundred and some odd, I can't remember exactly, 110 straight uh, victories. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we broke their record. Uh, we beat them. We were the first ones to beat them um, in, in one of the games that we played near the end of the year. In 1994, also, we beat uh, a, lo- a conference rival, Stonington, for the state championship. Um, so th- that was kind of exciting for sure. us. Yeah, and uh, from for me, and um, uh, we've always had our battles with Waterford, <laughs> and that's that's what we happen to play on Friday night to beat. Um, we uh, Waterford is our our local rival, right? You know, we're side by side here yep. to the towns, and uh, they've always had a very very good program, and so our it's been very competitive. That's always been a highlight. Yeah, any any time we beat them, <laughs> and it's been a couple of years. Great. Um, so, you know, again, you've been doing this uh, for quite a while. What what has sort of made you stay with with coaching this long and and for this much time? Is there there one or you know one thing about the coaching that that really uh, appeals to you, or what would you say is sort of your, I'm very, your favorite I'm very part? Very competitive. I'm very <laughs> competitive. I like to win. Um, also, um, I think one of the things that I've stayed why I've stayed with it is um, I started off teaching at, at the high school level and about. 22 years ago or so, I, I got transferred to the elementary school, mm-hmm. and I really enjoy it down there. And yet, I, I, I like the older kids too, and this gives me, you know, gives me the opportunity to, to work with the high school age girls, sure. which are completely different than kindergartners. Believe me, <laughs> I would imagine, yeah. And um, you know, it, it, it provides a variety um, for, for me, for my life, and for um, and like I said, I'm very, I'm very very competitive. And uh, I, I do a lot with uh, with uh, officiating. I officiate field hockey. I used to officiate basketball. So I like that the high school sports aspect. And this is my way of just staying active in the softball area. Sure. 
Well, great. I also wanted to say one thing to you. Sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, as far as the CIAC is concerned, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I was I was selected um, to be on the softball committee the very first year that of its inception. Oh, really? So John Fontana asked me and Edna Frazier and uh, and Cindy Adamski to be on that first softball committee, um, and uh, I've been on it ever since. Uh, I, I'm, I've been a member of that committee ever since. Oh, wow. I've been to every state championship. I'm the assistant director right now. I've been through all the directors. I think there were four of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Uh, no, that's, I've been, that's I've been on a lot of changes. Yeah. I've seen a lot of changes with the, the color of the ball, with the, um, with, the, with the mound moving back. I've been through it since day one. Yeah, and and I'm really proud of that, and, well, and uh, I'm, I'm I'm very happy to continue to do that right now. Well, we certainly appreciate that. That's uh, you know, as as you know, we we don't get very far without all of our sort of the right. people that volunteer to be a part of those committees. So right, we right. certainly appreciate that. Well, thanks very much, Coach. I appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks very much to Judy Deeb for joining us there for that great conversation. Hope folks enjoyed hearing from her. Always great to talk to a record breaker as she sets the new high school Connecticut softball coaches career victory record. So thank her for joining us and we thank all of our guests for joining us on this edition of the CIAC cast. Mark Allard of the Norwich Bulletin. You can check out his work at norwichbulletin.com. Also find him on Twitter at Mallard, M-A-L-L-A-R-D-N-B, and then also Joe Palladino, of course. You can check out his work at rep-am.com, or his Twitter feed is R-A off the record. So check out both of those gentlemen. They both do great work, and we both appreciate them talking to us. And, of course, Judy Deeb finding time to chat with us as well with the regular season winding down. So that's going to do it. For this this edition, that's what I'm trying to say, of the CIAC cast. We thank you very much for joining us. Again, not quite sure of the schedule for next week. Hope to have one probably before all of the pairings madness begins on uh, towards the end of the week. So maybe look for a CIAC cast on Wednesday is certainly a possibility. But check out the Twitter feed at CIAC Sports. Check us out online, CIACsports.com. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Sports, Or you can email the CIAC cast, CIACcast at CASCIAC.org. So lots of ways to get in touch with us. We always love hearing from folks. And be sure to join us again as we head towards the championship season next week here on the CIAC cast. Have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. 